0: When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And then he gave him the name Jesus. Those last two verses show us, they start to paint a picture of a pretty amazing guy, I think. Uh, And that's who I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus, as we continue our Christmas series called "A Humble King." I want to talk about the humble father, uh, the guy that's kind of often forgotten in this story. Joseph's contributions to the life of Jesus is often confined to this really, really small thing. It was big in the in the prophecy scope, but from a you know storyline perspective it was pretty small he was often just narrowly confined to the fact that it was necessary for him to adopt jesus so that jesus could be in the lineage of david and fulfill all the prophecies about the messiah being from the lineage of david that's usually what we talk about with joseph uh, as rob talked about last week and this week but and this is all necessary but this week i want to dig into his character Because I think we can learn a lot from the character of Joseph in the short amount of time that we're, we're given with him. We see a man of kind of astonishing obedience, a man who, as we just saw, took somebody to be his son that kind of wrecked his life, and he accepted him completely and wholly adopted him in without any questions because God told him to and we learn about what it looks like for us as children of God to be adopted children and what that means for us today. So that's where I want to go this morning. Will you pray with me and then we'll jump into this section. Jesus, we just come before you right now. Just say thank you for your presence, and thank you for what you're already doing here with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and speak to us. Come in. Uh, reveal to us more of who you are, of how much you love us, and what it looks like for us as your followers, Jesus, to live lives that are filled with obedience. Help us to be followers who are willing to go where it is that you call us to go, to do what it is that you call us to do. We give you this space this time. We're yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I hinted earlier, Joseph's kind of the forgotten guy in this story, right? I I don't know if you, when you're reading the Bible, you come up with these, you conjure up these like funny pictures of people. Uh, my picture of Joseph is this super stoic, quiet guy uh, that's very nice, very friendly, but that never talks. You know, that that's my picture of Joseph. He's just like the silent but deadly type. You know, he's serious, but he's nice. Everybody likes him. One of my good friends from growing up is a guy named David, and he fits this like perfectly. I've never met a person who doesn't like David Curtis. He's like one of the most genuinely likable people that you will ever meet. Uh, Everybody enjoys being around him. He cares for people well. However, if you can get him to talk for more than five minutes about anything other than Ohio State football or the Cincinnati Reds, you have just succeeded in life, because he doesn't. He never will. Uh, You have to have known him for at least 10 years to get any further conversation out of him, Uh, and that's only because you have 10 years worth of stories to catch up on. Uh, That's the only way you get him to talk. A great guy, very, very quiet very quiet. And so I kind of pictured Joseph in the same way. He's this like super quiet guy. He's just really nice. He's standing over Mary in the manger scene. Okay, maybe I get my entire impression of Joseph from how we arrange our manger scenes. I don't know. But what I do know is that Joseph has amazing character. He lives it out in a kind of astonishing way. Uh, Joseph and Mary were young. I don't know if you picture them being older, because in our culture it it would be like scandalous for them to be this young, but Mary was probably 13 or 14, uh, and Joseph was no older than 25. He was probably more in the 18 to 20 range. So they're very young people. They're babies having babies, right? They're just children, and they're betrothed. Which So we don't Ever say that we're, has anybody ever said you're betrothed? I mean, I would be, like, that would, we might need to talk about, like, cultural relevance at that point. They're betrothed, which is like a cross between uh, engagement and marriage. And it means two things. One, no sex until that period's over. Two, the only way you can break off this relationship is through the divorce. The only way is through divorce, and you're not allowed to have sex until this period of about a year is done. Which, given that she's married, or that she's pregnant, hopefully you can start to see the messy part of this situation, especially from Joseph's side of it. Verses 18 and 19 say, But before they came together, which is a nice way of saying they had not had sex up to this point, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, which is astonishing, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Mary's pregnant, and Joseph knows it's not his, because you know these sorts of things. If the child's not yours, you know that it's not yours. And Joseph is a God-fearing man who keeps the law. He lives according to the rules that God has laid out, according to the cultural rules that have been laid out for him. And so he's stuck in this situation because the law, and it's interesting because this doesn't happen very often, but both Roman and Jewish law agree on this point that the only answer for Joseph at this point, if the child is not his, the only thing that he can do if his wife has had an affair is to divorce her. To not divorce her would mean, A, that he was aware of her having an affair and that he was okay with it, and B, that he was kind of putting an open for business sign out. Essentially, it made her a prostitute and him her pimp. This was like, you don't mess with this. Both Roman and Jewish culture agree on this. Everything in their society said, wash your hands and walk away, Joseph. There is no reason to get stuck in the middle of this. Everybody thought that he stayed with the woman who cheated on him at this point. So that's one side of it. and The other side is that if Joseph's staying with her, then he's acknowledging that it's his. So in their very culturally religious society, he's saying that they did have sex before the appointed time and so that they both sinned in that way, not just Mary, but him as well. Either way, there's a tremendous amount of shame poured onto them from this point forward because everybody knew everybody. These towns were not big. It was your entire family all in one place, both families, in-laws and your immediate family are there all know this scenario, everybody's talking about it, there's no way to avoid it. And so Joseph says, okay, I'm just gonna kinda walk away. I'm gonna slide out of this scenario. And he would have been justified in divorcing her quietly because that's what a good guy does. He wasn't gonna, what that means, divorcing her quietly means that he wasn't gonna take her in front of a trial, in front of all of the leaders of the town. And trials of this sort in front of leaders of the town usually either ended in, like, ridiculous shame. And if they went really south, they ended in her being stoned. So she could have died from this if he would have divorced her in front of everybody. That was one option. And so he says, no, she's gone through enough. She has enough shame. She's never getting married again. She's not getting anything. She's just, it's just going to be her and this baby struggling. Everybody knows about it. I'm just going to slide out of this equation. I'm going to take myself out of it. He just wanted to move on until the angel showed up. And if this story couldn't get any crazier, I think this takes it to a whole nother level because he's He's just gone to bed and tells us after thinking about all this, he's probably planning out all these options. He's laying there, he falls asleep, and then he has this dream. And in this dream, an angel shows up and tells him that the baby is God's, which is out there, right? And that he's not just supposed to be OK with that fact, but he's supposed to then take Mary as his wife, that he's supposed to take the baby as his own son, name him Jesus, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. and then he wakes up and he does it. What? That's ridiculous. I mean, honestly, let truth time here. None of us would have woken up and done it. None of us. We would have all, like, this is what was going through my mind. I would have woken up and been like, I've been around Mary too much. Now I'm having crazy dreams. <laughs> now I'm the one that's having visions where God's saying that he got somebody pregnant. This is impossible. It's not real. I need to get away from this situation, move on, change my life. Just kind of, It's painful. It's going to hurt a little bit, but I need out of this because this is ridiculous. And yet, that's not what he does. He he does it. He wakes up, and he goes, and he uh, ties the knot. He follows the angel's instructions, and he names him Jesus. And this obedience cost him tremendously. Craig Keener is a theologian. He wrote that Joseph's obedience to God cost him the right to value his own reputation. Let that one sink in. Has God ever asked you to do something that would ruin your reputation in the eyes of everybody you care about, that would cause your life to be completely wrecked in the eyes of your family, your friends, everybody who you grew up with? And he willingly did it. Jesus was the child conceived before the culturally appropriate time. He was the family's black eye. He was the one whose birth ruined Joseph in the eye of his, eyes of his peers. And yet, he accepts him as his own son. He loves him as his own. By all accounts, he loved Mary and Jesus fully. Without anger, without bitterness, without fear, he welcomed them in completely. He didn't grow bitter towards God. He kept obeying God after this. He didn't let it stop him. All his best laid plans were wrecked, and yet he still obeyed in spite of that. Now, obviously, Joseph and Mary were a one-time experience, right? We can agree on this. If anybody ever comes up to me and tells me that they've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, I will look them in the face and tell them they're crazy, because that doesn't happen again. That's one time only. And this is not a good story to use to like justify uh, doing whatever crazy plan that you have in your mind, <laughs> This is one time only. However, I think there's something in Joseph's attitude towards God in this moment that we can learn from. And here's what it is, that sometimes God ruins our plans. Sometimes God asks us to do things that are not understood by other people around us. Sometimes God asks us to follow him in ways that take away all of our cool points that leave us feeling exposed, raw, and vulnerable. And in those moments, we are left with a choice, and this is the choice. Will we value the perception of others more? Will we value being comfortable more, or will we obey? Will we do what it is that God's putting in front of us? For Joseph, saying yes was only the beginning as if this part wasn't hard enough it kept getting more and more uh not dangerous but more and more uncomfortable he's only mentioned a couple times in the bible but each time he has a dream and then he acts on it immediately look at this matthew 2 13 and 14 when they had gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream get up he said take the child and his mother and escape to egypt Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. And then verses 19 through 23, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to Israel. And at this point, he thought he was going home. And then in verse 22, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Joseph has three crazy dreams. An angel appears to him and all of them. God speaks very clearly in each time his life is wrecked to another level. The first time, his family's labeled as sinners in the eyes of everybody around them. The second time, they're sent as unwelcomed immigrants to a country that was completely different, that had different cultural values, different ways of doing life. And the third time, when he thought that he was going to be able to finally go home to live out the life that he had planned for himself, to live with his family, to live with his friends, God tells him, no, it's never going to be safe for your four-year-old to live in that town. You have to go somewhere else you have to go to another town. The third time meant that he could never return home. His life had been completely upended by God every single time, and yet in the face of that, he still obeyed. This is the man chosen by God to be Jesus's earthly father, and I think God did a pretty good job of choosing him. Joseph is so often an afterthought, right? Mary's the headliner. Mary has theologies written about her, sermons preached about her. Uh, She has songs sung about her, which are not my favorite songs, but that's a different conversation. But Joseph, he's, he's an afterthought. He's the other guy. He's the guy quietly standing in the corner of the manger that didn't really have a part in the birth, right? Uh, It's not his DNA. So he's just quietly to the side. But Joseph was not just a byproduct of this process. He wasn't just a replacement level player. Joseph was necessary. He was important. He was chosen by God to be the father of Jesus because he was willing to listen and he was willing to obey. And he proved his necessity, his worth, his character in this over and over and over again. One theologian said that Joseph was a man characterized by an instant and complete obedience. He knew that to delay was to disobey. And so he responded to God's commands without deferment. Instant and complete obedience. And I think in this obedience, Joseph shows us he begins to show us what it looks like for uh, adoption as children of God in the kingdom. Joseph was Jesus's adopted father, but he didn't treat him like secondary. He had lots of other kids. Some of them wrote other books of the Bible, We're told about him at different places and throughout the history of the church. He didn't need to treat Jesus as his own, so to speak, because he had other biological children, but he did he could have just taken jesus by especially by that third dream and been like i'm out like you've wrecked my life so many times i've had to wipe your butt constantly you do nothing but cry i know you're god but this is frustrating and i don't understand and i don't know what i'm supposed to be getting out of this but i'm not getting much out of it i'm done like, this is over, I gave up everything for the last five years, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm moving home, I'm taking over my dad's business, I'm doing the things that I wanted to do with my life. You know, you know like, it probably won't be that bad for you. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He wrecks his life again, he lives somewhere else, never to return home, never to be able to have what it was that he wanted so much as a kid growing up in their culture, and their society. He never received it at all. It was all taken from him completely. And he loved Jesus still. We are sons and daughters of a very real and very loving father who has gone to extremes to be able to reach us, to be able to pull us in as his adopted children, not with an asterisk, but as children who have all of the privileges, all of the access and rights of any biological father. In the same way, Jesus was given that by Joseph. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 talks about this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. He decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus So that we could enter into the celebration of his lavish, of his outrageous, of his over-the-top, of his constant, of his never-ending, of his reckless gift-giving as his children through the hand of his beloved son. Essentially, what we read here is that Jesus, the adopted son, stretched out his arms so that we could grab a hold. So that when we grab a hold, we're brought in completely without exceptions without asterisks without question marks there's no outliers in this it's for all just as Jesus was completely brought into the lineage of Joseph so we have been brought into the lineage of Jesus J I Packer once wrote this he said what's a christian the question can be answered in so many ways But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. You want to know the deepest point we can get in ourselves as followers of Jesus? This is it. You know who your dad is. And your dad loves you unconditionally, without stops, without barriers. There's nothing that he didn't do to grab a hold of you, to bring you in. That is our deepest core as followers of Jesus, that we know that we are loved by God, by our loving Father who welcomes us in time and time and time again. No barriers. We're in. The good news for us is that we, as children of God, know who our Father is. So let's land this plane this morning. Most of you know that about four months ago, Sarah and I uh, had two girls move into our house, the pre-adoptive process. We, we began the process of being parents to a 10-year-old and a four-year-old. So life's been crazy, uh, but it's been good. And so I've been learning what it means to be an adoptive dad. And it means a lot of things are different. A lot of things. Uh, It means that my time and space are no longer free or mine. It means that my very precious alone time as an introvert is now even more precious because it's all the less frequent. It means that I never get control of the TV when they're awake, which is problematic because I despise Barbie Dreamhouse and Peppa the pig. I do not like them at all. it also means that i got a lot more hugs and cuddle time and dance parties which i'm pretty good at i've been told it means i get to listen to a lot of strange thankfully made up stories uh, and that i get to hear the same knock-knock jokes thousands of times and that i'm learning somehow i think by only by god's grace to actually have amusement at those same knock jock jokes when I hear them for the thousandth time in the last five minutes. And it means that I get to love two amazing girls in very different ways while learning who they are and what they love and how they hurt and why they hurt. So that hopefully I can grow up into being a good father for them. And for the girls, adoption means different things. It means learning another set of rules and adjusting to another set of parents. It means meeting a couple hundred people who want to meet them for some reason and not really understanding why everybody wants to meet them. that is real. Uh, It means switching schools and making new friends. It means learning to trust and love these new parents and risking by opening their hearts up to us, hoping that this time it'll actually be forever. Adoption doesn't mean that everything in their past is gone, both good and bad, but it does mean that everything in their future has changed. As the worship team comes back up, friends, that's the truth for us. We have been adopted by an amazingly loving father who spares no expense, who brings us in so intimately. And it doesn't mean that our past is gone, but it does mean that our future has changed. It doesn't mean that everything is instantaneously different, but it does mean that the one that we're leaning into, the one we are trusting in, is instantly different. We're not just relying on ourselves anymore. We're leaning into him, and that changes everything. The truth is that you have a father who's given up everything for you. Max Licato said this. He said, God has adopted you. God sought you. He found you. He signed the papers and took you home. You have a new forever family. Friends, I think the best way to end this time as we transition to a time of worship is just simply to say this. Welcome home. Will you stand and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have stretched out your arms, that you have reached out by giving everything so that we could know you, so that we could embrace you, so that we could be your children. We just say thank you. We're not worthy, but you know that. (laughs) And yet you still did it pray this morning, Father, that you will reveal to us your love. Reveal to us your goodness. Reveal to us that the extent that you will go to to reach us. Let us know you more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.